about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Our Bible reading tonight is from 1 Peter, um, and I'll let you flick to it whilst I also flick to it. Um, Preparation is key. I am not prepared. Um, So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 12 is where we start, um, and then we'll go onwards. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you, were, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then we'll flick to chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary... Repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer, for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, friends, welcome this evening. Welcome to you, especially if it's your first time in the building in a while. Welcome back. Great to have you. Welcome to you if it's your first time in the building, full stop. You're very welcome uh, to be here. And there's stuff behind me, so I'm going to move further this way. This evening, we're continuing our look at the church of the living God, what it means to be God's people. It's significance, it's purpose, who we are and what we are doing here. And we've been doing that, especially thinking about days like this. It's so nice to see this building full again of God's people. And what is it that we're doing when we gather? What is it that we're doing as God's people when we do this? What is he up to? We looked at how we are the gathering of the Lamb, that the church, the church is that final gathering around the Lord Jesus bodily. We looked at how we're the new humanity, where that multitude is full of a rich different ethnicities stitched together through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that we collectively are on the right side of history by faith in the blood of Christ the Son, in the power of the Spirit. But today I want to look at a phrase that I think is timely and helpful for us in the midst of the uncertainty that we're feeling, in in a time of crisis where we're maybe a bit unsure about who we are and what we do even day to day. And this beautiful phrase that happens, it comes about in the, the book of 1 Peter, and it's all through the Old Testament. And basically, 1 Peter is written to, in the first verse, to a bunch of exiles, to Christians who have been scattered throughout the known world through persecution and difficult things, who aren't sure who they are anymore, who aren't sure how to endure the suffering that they're facing, who aren't sure what it means to be God's people in the day in which they live. And to these scattered, disoriented, perhaps discouraged, perhaps willing to give in people, he says powerfully, you are God's special possession. Or to use the phrase from the Old Testament, you are God's treasured possession. As a beautiful phrase with weight and significance for who we collectively are as God's people. I think as we explore this tonight, we're kind of, we've been thinking about the, the, the anatomy of the, the church and what it is, but well, tonight we see how God regards His church. He's not just putting up with us. We're not second class. We are His treasured possession. So let's dig into that uh, by looking at this verse from 1 Peter chapter 2 that Ali read out for us. Thank you, Ali where it has in that, that center God's special possession. I want to unpack it in four ways. What does it mean to be God's treasured or God's special possession? What does that phrase actually mean? Well, the first thing we see as we look at these verses is that it's about being the people of God, the people belonging to God. That's what it means to be God's special possession, to be treasured, means God wants you for himself. To be treasured means God wants you for himself. Now, this is a really interesting idea we've got to get our heads around. Now, the word treasured, as it comes up, treasured possession in the Old Testament, most of the references are to God describing his people. But there's two references uh, to Solomon, the richest king of all of ancient Israel. And it's referred to as his kind of special treasured possessions. He had lots of treasure. In Solomon's day, silver was not considered valuable because there was so much gold, right? But even in his day, he had a personal set of treasure that was just belonging to him. And that's who God's people are to God. This special group of people who belong to him. Have a look at these words from Exodus chapter 19. What Peter actually plagiarizes these verses in his letter. Let's be honest, okay? If we went through one of those turn it in apps, this would get lit up. You yourselves have seen, God said to his people at Mount Sinai, what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, it's the same picture as Solomon. Solomon had all the treasure that was his, but he had special treasure that belonged particularly to him. God's people, Israel, God's people collectively are the special possession 
of God himself. But did you notice that first phrase at the end of that first sentence? Why does God redeem his people? What does it mean to him for them to be his treasured possession? Well, he redeemed them to bring them to himself. God doesn't redeem us because he has to. He doesn't redeem us because he feels obligated to. He redeems us because he wants us. He purchases us to be his. He brought people out from under Egypt to be with him. To belong to him. God wants a people is what it means for him to treasure us. We belong to him. Evan Clowney unpacks this beautifully. There's a whole collection of metaphors in the Old and New Testament about this idea of a personal God who, who feels like his people belong to him. God's people are his own possession, his treasure. The church is defined by belonging to God. Bible uses many figures to describe this relation. Israel is God's son, his spouse, his vine, his flock. In the New Testament, the church is Christ's flock, branches of the true vine, his bride, his body, his temple, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, the house of God. I zone in on his bride at the end there in particular, because that's the most beautiful of all those for me. You know, when Christ redeemed the church, he didn't redeem a servant class for himself. He didn't redeem employees for himself. He redeemed a bride to cherish and treasure and love as his. To be treasured means God wants us as his people for himself. I've been thinking about this with our 18-month-old Lucy, who's becoming self-aware, which is entertaining. And we read books at night, and whenever she sees a dad in a book... She's now started pointing at them, saying dada, and tapping me on the arm a couple of times, and then tapping herself on the chest. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing to watch the idea of dad become something real for her. Dad is not just a thing out there. It's you belong with me, and I belong with you. You see, I think God in Jesus Christ taps us on the arm and taps himself on the chest and says, you belong with me and I belong with you. You are my treasured possession, redeemed at the cost of my son. To be treasured means that God wants us to be his people. There's something really important that comes along with that and you see these in these verses as well. He starts by calling us a chosen people and ends by saying that we weren't a people, but now through mercy, we, we, have, we used to not have received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And there's a very important thing in these verses that we become the treasured possession of God, not because of anything in us, but because of who God is. And we are treasured. To be treasured means we are chosen and precious to Him. Not chosen and precious in and of ourselves in who we are and what we do and what we are like. You see, God uh, explains this really clearly to Israel in Deuteronomy 17 when he describes why he treasures them. 
He says, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Again, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. You were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors. God says to Israel, I did not choose you because you looked impressive, because you were good looking, because you had lots of money, because I thought you'd be useful to me. I didn't choose you because you were more ethical than others. I chose to set my affection on you because of the promises I'd spoken about you already. It was my free choice, my free decision. I chose you. See, God doesn't choose us because of what we are like as people, but because of who he is. He freely sets his affection on us. A bit earlier in this chapter in 1 Peter, there is one person who's spoken of as chosen as well. If you look back to verse 4, it talks about the living stones talking about Jesus who was rejected, but chosen by God and precious to him. He is the chosen and precious cornerstone, verse 6. Jesus Christ is the treasured possession of God. He is God's eternal son who truly does belong with him. And yet in chapter 2, what is described is that when we put our trust in that living stone, we become built into the same building which means we become chosen and precious in the same way that God, the Son, the, our Lord Jesus Christ has always been to God the Father, so do we. When he looks at us, he sees the Lord Jesus, his chosen and precious Son. By faith in Jesus, God has set his affection upon us. Let this sink in for a second. He has purposefully, affectionately, truly chosen you to be his people. And he does not value you because of how long you work, because of what you have achieved, because of your ethical prowess, because of how good you are. He does not value you because of your performance. He does not value you less because of your sin and your failure. He values you. He has set his affection upon you in the person of Jesus. And the value attached to you in him is unassailable, untouchable, and secure. To be treasured is to be chosen and precious in Jesus Christ. Church, that is how your God regards you. You are his treasured and valuable possession by the blood of Jesus Christ. He wants you and you are chosen and you are precious. But something else that comes along with this, and, and you see this in the first part of this, these verses again, is there's this idea of distinction and difference to being a treasured possession. We're called a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And whenever this phrase treasured possession comes up in the Old Testament before or after it is always something telling Israel about how they are to be different. So in verse 
uh, chapter 7 of Deuteronomy, they're commanded to destroy the idols of the cultures around them because they're a treasured possession. In chapter 14 of Deuteronomy, they're told not to eat bacon because they're a treasured possession, right? It drives a different behavior. In chapter 26, they're commanded to keep the laws and decrees of the law because they are a treasured possession. This identity and value of belonging to God drives difference. To be treasured means we are here to be different. It's an identity that drives a way of being in the world. And so God's affection for us gives us a purpose, gives us a reason to be here, gives us something to, a role to play as his church. And this is what happens through the whole rest of of 1 Peter. He describes this different way of life. It starts in verse 11 of chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls and live such good lives among the pagans that they come to glorify God. But as you read the rest of 1 Peter, it's interesting because the difference doesn't seem to be huge. He doesn't tell slaves to stop being slaves. He doesn't tell them to stop being Roman citizens. He doesn't tell them to leave their marriages. He doesn't tell them to run away from suffering. Outwardly, they're living the same life that they were living before they were called by the mercy of God to belong to him. And yet the character of all of these things is to be now different. They're not just slaves. They're the treasured possession of God who are slaves. They're not just husbands and wives. They're treasured possession. You don't just work at a bank in the week. You are a treasured possession of God who works at a bank. You are the treasured possession of God amongst your household with your housemates. You are the treasured possession of God in your street, in your apartment building. And you're to do the things that everyone else does, but driven by who you know you are in the Lord Jesus. Being a treasured possession drives what Miroslav Volf calls a soft difference. You do the same things that everyone else does, but what you know is true about yourself in Jesus means that you do them different. Let me give a practical example, because the best example in 1 Peter of what this looks like is how Peter calls people to suffer. 1 Peter is full of how to suffer differently as a Christian. And basically, he says, listen, you are the treasured possession of God. You are secure in Him. Nothing can be taken from you, from those who are trying to take it. They cannot take your honor. Even if they take your life, they can't take God's presence from you. And so suffer with hope. Suffer, but be gentle. Suffer, but commit your hands to your faithful creator and continue to do good. The exiles are to suffer differently because of who they know they are. And I wonder if in the midst of what we are facing right now as a culture and as a country and as a nation and as a, as a city and as a world and as a race, whether suffering differently is not the call of God's church in this place at this time. 
because we know we are the treasured possession of God belonging to him, we don't suffer without hope. We don't feel as pointless and like we have no purpose like others might feel. When we get sick, we know we have a place and a God who cares for us and who will lead us to eternal life. When others are despondent and uncertain, we are sure. We are being summoned as a treasured possession of God to suffer differently in the midst of uncertainty and discouragement and pain. Because to be treasured means we are here to be different. But finally this evening, and this kind of goes hand in hand with what we've been saying already, and in the middle of these verses, you get a a purpose statement of what it means to be the special possession of God. What is it? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. You see, the reason why we are the treasured possession of God, the reason why God chose a nation for himself, the people of Israel, out of all the nations in the world, was not only for their sake, incredible a blessing as that was, it was actually for the sake of the name and glory of God himself. To be God's treasured possession is to be the people who declare the excellency and wonder of the true and living God. To be treasured means we are here to declare His wonder and His glory and to make Him known. That's our great privilege as God's people, to not only be treasured by God, but to treasure Him in return and so speak of Him and His wonders and His grace and His goodness and His power until all the world will finally see His glory. We are those who have been brought out of darkness into wonderful light so that when people notice the difference in the way we suffer, how we suffer with hope and purpose, and in the midst of uncertainty we are sure that in the words of chapter 3 that we have an answer for the hope we have. How come you're so steady and sure? It's because I'm treasured. It's because I'm chosen and precious and there's an affection set on me that isn't touched by things like the economy or COVID or how well things go for me at work. I'm settled and secure in the God who knows me and loves me because I am His and He wants you to. Our purpose in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this time, is to make our God known as the wonderful and incredible God that He is, who summoned us out of darkness into His wonderful light. To be treasured means we are the unique people who have experienced His glory and the unique ones who can declare it to others. And so to be treasured is to have a purpose, both in the way we live and in what we say, declaring Him. But the question is, well, how do you actually live? And we'll finish on this. How do you actually live in a way where these beautiful words from 1 Peter are not just true in your head, but they're true in your heart? That you actually consider yourself as belonging to this God in Jesus Christ. I think the answer is in a little phrase in verse 7 of chapter 2 that we didn't read. Where it talks of Jesus and it talks of us. 
And it says, now to you who believe, this stone, Jesus Christ, who bled for you, is precious. You see, the only way, the only way that these realities will drop in our heart is when we consider Jesus Christ to be precious. When we don't consider anything in us, but everything that is stored up in him. When to have him is to have moved from darkness to light. To have him is to be the people of God. To have his blood is to have everything. It's the extent to which your heart knows that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That he was thrown out of the family of God, the chosen and precious one. That you might be treasured. That's by his blood that you were purchased into the treasure house of God himself. That when he is precious in your heart through faith, that's when you know and can live secure and treasured, declaring his wonders. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray tonight that by the power of your Spirit, you would press these truths deeply onto our spirits and onto our hearts. Father, we feel disoriented. We feel discouraged. We feel discombobulated by our times. Father, speak to us that word that we are yours. We belong with you. That is who we are. And we know our purpose is to just know your wonders and speak them. Father, help us rest in this. Help us lay aside our sense of failure, our sense of discouragement, our sense of not being enough, and rest in being the bride of your beloved Son. We pray this in his name. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.